Ecclesiastes in chapter 12. If you would turn there, please. Ecclesiastes 12. And then we're going to read the last two verses. And once you have found it, please stand out of respect of God's Word. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Father, as we enter into Your Word, I pray that You open up our hearts, open up our minds. May we submit to You right now. Lord, as much as I need to be Spirit-filled, so does the listener. As You told us, the church, Lord Jesus, in the Revelation, let him that has an ear, let him hear. And Lord, we have some important matters in these few minutes to talk about. Help us, Lord, to apply it to our own personal lives. Lord, I do not know the heart of each one here, but You do. If there are some that have not trusted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, Lord, that You will work in that heart and draw them into a relationship with You. Lord, as we have learned last week and even today again, that every one of us have an end in this life and that one day we will return to dust as we were created from it. And we will be standing before You one day as a result of that. And Lord, may we connect the life here with the accountability there. And Lord, help me to be able to pull in this underst- the understanding of the fear of the Lord along with that accountability. Help us, Lord, to serve You with our hearts. Help us to keep You first. And we'll thank You now for, for this time in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Those who have been here through the weeks, um, you know what we've been covering. And those who might be visiting or not been here through this series, we've been talking about uh, a biblical worldview. How do we as Christians live in this world and not allow everything that's going on in the world to affect us? You have to understand, we are in this world and and we are called to go to the world and to reach them with the gospel. Sadly, what happens, though, is that the world is doing a more effective job of affecting us than we are them. And so we have to understand, how can we be around at work and family, the list goes on, and have pretty much, we will, we will call it, Uh, ungodly advice, ungodly principles that they are living by, and how can we keep that from affecting us in our own lives and our daily walk with Him? And so that's what we've been talking about. We talk about creation, understanding of creation versus evolution, because the biblical worldview of how we got here is different than the world sees it. We talked last year about the future, about heaven, and those are the the the, if you will, the uh, end caps of everything with worldview is how do we get here. And what's our end? And so that we've, we've covered. And now we're talking about the, the center of it all. While we are here, how do we live? How do we think? And so we are to, to uh, have a transformed mind. We're going to talk about that a little bit more, Lord willing, next year. But here's some of the stuff we talked about looking at the book of Ecclesiastes, having a biblical worldview. How do we see ourselves? Ecclesiastes, I mean, you read this and you flat out get depressed. Everything we do, it's been done before. There's nothing new under the sun. Our works, our labors, you do this all and you may not end up with anything. You may die and then you give it to somebody else. Yay! 
I mean, it's so depressing. You look at everything he talks about, all the hopes, and this is we're going to have this, and then it just seems like there's nothing. And that's, that's how the world sees it. And so we've, we've looked at these subjects. There's nothing new from, the generation, from generation to generation. The nature of man is the same since the fall. We've learned that those who are pleasure seekers will never be satisfied. It's never, ever enough. It's as though they have a bag that they're trying to fill up with sand that is full of holes. It just goes out quicker than it comes in, and they're wondering, why am I never satisfied? Well, because you're looking for the wrong satisfaction. You're trying to find it through the physical, and God tells us that, that, that you know, even in the, as the hymn writer put it, all that thrills my soul is Jesus. There's a satisfaction to come from our walk with the Lord. We've learned that the power, the money, getting everything you desire is also empty since that void can't be filled. We learned that there's a season for everything. A time to be born, a time to die, and all of these concepts. But as we know, as Christians though, that God makes all things beautiful in His time. So we learned about man's labors that's in vain. We work, we save, we succeed in the world's eyes only to die and give it to somebody else. And probably your kids, after you saved that $100,000 it took you 25 years to, to, to save up and save up and save up, uh, they're going to cruise. They're going to get it and they're going to go buy a new car with it. took you forever to get it. They're making more money than you even thought about and they don't need it. Nothing new under the sun. They might waste it. They might be successful with it too. But many times, not the case. Because those who get rich quickly, oftentimes don't know how to handle money. You have to get it slowly to understand how it works. The youth were told to remember your Creator. Knowing these days that are coming on quickly, he calls them evil days are about to come. That is when you get older and the body starts to decay and it starts to go downhill. So remember God. Remember Him. Because even at a young age, if we pass away, we're going to still be standing before our God who is our Creator. So that thought governs the young people's thoughts. And then last week also talked about the elderly and how we're reminded that the body indeed decays. And you will eventually return to the dust from which you were created. And yet the spirit inside of us that God has given us will return back to Him. All, not just believers, but all mankind, will have an accountability then to the Lord once we pass away. And you say, I'm going to make that stop. Try it. You can't stop that from happening. It will happen. You say, I just don't believe it's going to happen. That doesn't take away facts that God says, I've made you, and there's an accountability. That's why God talks about inside of every human being, there's this knowledge, there's something out there. And if they don't have the Word, they're not going to have a full understanding of Him. But there's something. That's why you're in the middle of the Amazon, and they got all these idols. Well, why? Because they know there's something out there greater than they are. So what man does is says, okay, let me make my own God up. So I'm going to make it out of stone or rocks or, you know, or, or, or uh, trees, and we make our own. And we decide that's what's going to protect us or that's what's going to provide for us, etc. This is, that, this is inside of man as well as, you know, Romans 2 gets into that concept. Even, even the, uh, the Gentiles, um, they, they understand there's a law, there's moralities, there's things that are right, there's things that are wrong. Well, why? If we're just animals, 
as evolutionists would say, why do we determine there's a right and a wrong? Why is that instinctive? Why is it wrong for me to kill you? Animals do it all the time. If we're just glorified animals, why is there rights and wrongs? It's because you and I are made in the image of God. We're not glorified animals. You are in God's image. So, so as Christians, we understand we're going to be standing for Him and we want to do good. And that's what He's going to get into in a moment. See, the Christian sees all of these seasons of life differently than the world does. We find fulfillment in our labors because we're laboring for Him. We see the seasons of life as opportunity to glorify Him, not to grumble and complain. We're not greedy because we know that it's more happy to give than to hoard it for ourselves. Christian looks at everything differently. We find this contentment. It's just like, I don't have to have more. I got food. I got a house. Uh, the bills are paid this week. We're working hard. We're laboring hard. God is good. And it's enough. And the world never understands the word enough. To be satisfied. Sadly, though, when Christians get into this Avers, the, the greed and i got to have more takes place, that's when we're miserable, when we lose the contentment of where we are at. That doesn't mean we're not to have goals, or we're not to save, we're to, uh, not to, to work hard. We're to do all of those things. But our vision of it all is completely different. I love the one verse in Ephesians, it says, Let that person that stole, stop it. Steal no more. But rather, work your, with your own hands that which is good. You say, yeah, so he can have more. It actually says that you may have to give to those of people in, that are in need. So you have an extra 20 bucks, you can help somebody else out as a result of this life's journey. And you smile and you say, I just encouraged somebody today. And God says, you give to somebody else. I saw that. You even give somebody a glass of water. He says, I saw that and I'm going to reward you as a result of it. Everything we do, that's what he's getting into as we go along. We desire to please God, not ourselves, by dying to self, by taking up our cross daily, we then begin to walk by faith, not by sight, trusting that God is going to use us while we are here this short time on earth. And that we know it may not be beautiful now, but God eventually makes all things beautiful in His time. There are hardships that we all go through in this world. But the Christian doesn't see it just as the here and now. We see future. As Romans tells us, we cannot compare with the struggles and the hardships that we have in this life to the glory that's going to be revealed in us someday. It's like you put that on a scale, you know, the 70, 80 years of hardship, bunk, and then you put the glory of God, and it's just like, bump. I mean, it outweighs it. It's greater than it. But we as Christians sometimes get into the here and now, and we get frustrated because we're not looking to the future, what God's going to be doing. And it may not be until heaven when He says, Well done, thou good and faithful service. But eventually, we're going we're gonna to have that. So we have this concept of fear God and keep His commandments. And this is the work of man. This is what His duty. This is, this is His all in all. So... So uh, Solomon is given the, the summary 
of it all. Here's the last words that he's going to be giving. So, fear. It's hard to define sometimes words in our English language. Um, fear is definitely one of those because if you if you look at Thayer or uh, Strong's definition, it's like 15 points. No, seriously. You have everything to put to flight by terror, to put to flight to flee, to fear, to be afraid, to be struck with fear, to be seized with alarm, uh, to be startled by strange sights. I was going to make a joke right there, but I won't. Those struck with amazement, fear, afraid of one. To fear, that is to hesitate. You're in fear, so you're frozen, you know. Uh, to do something out of fear, it means to reverence. That's how oftentimes we think of the fear of the Lord, is to respect or reverence Him. And that's like the last one at the bottom one time. To venerate, to treat with de- uh, uh, deference or reverential uh, obedience. So there's how they define fear. So Take your pick out of all those because oftentimes when you look at these words, you have to see within the text what is he actually talking about. So, fear defined. You know, while driving, fear is a really good thing. You say, I'm never going to be afraid. Ah, you, you're going too fast. You see a corner up ahead. You know what you're going to do? Out of fear, you're going to take the put, foot off of the gas and you're going to start putting it on the brake. You know why? It's fear. Fear of, fear of an accident. Fear of hurting the little kids in the back seat. So fear is a good thing. It actually begins to govern us in our lives. And this is an instinct that God has given to every one of us. In other words, fear is a good thing. While a young man is taking his fa- the, a father's daughter courting for the very first time. Fear is a really good thing. Amen. <laughs> I knew that when I wrote that one down. You were going to like that one. But guys, anyways. Yeah, while messing with America, fear is good. In other words, there should be a respect. And beyond that, it's like, we don't want to do that because there's going to be a repercussion. Fear is to be in an awe of the person. And when we think of God, it's His person, it's His character, it's God's wisdom, it's God's abilities, that we are in absolute fear of Him. Uh, We think fear is always a bad thing, but it's not. Fear governs our thoughts, our actions throughout life. That's why earlier this year, I had that short series on authority how we're supposed to respect authority. And God lays them out. And of course, we, you know, we always love that, children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Yeah, and we like that one. But God also calls us as parents to be also submissive, submissive to the authorities that are around us. We lost, and this is one of the things, the world has lost respect. And I'm going to use the word, the world has lost a good natural fear of authority. Do kids fear police? It seems like the music that I'm told that is being out there is more shoot them, kill them because police are the bad people. Where'd that come from? Where did this mindset come? That wouldn't have been allowed on the radio in the 60s. 
You know what I'm saying? It's like you're not going to promote violence to an authority over time. Do you ever notice you're just innocently driving down the road? Maybe this doesn't happen to you, but it does to me. So you're driving down the road, and you see a policeman parked here at a stop sign, and the first thing you do is think, what did I do wrong? Do you do that too? It's just like the first thing you do is you look at your speed. Mm. Am I going too fast? Am I, cro- I? I got pulled over because I crossed the the, the lane, and uh, and I got pulled over. And my wife's praying I don't get a ticket. I always get my wife to pray because I don't get tickets when she prays. And so, don't tell our policeman that. But uh, so so I I, I forgot to, I didn't use my signal. There was nobody else on six, and it was a wintry day. And I crossed over, and I crossed back over, and they pulled me over. And I'm like, but what did I do? You know, he's like, sir, you changed lane two times. You didn't use your turn signal. I'm just, you know, so you, you're supposed to use your turn signal, sir. And so you're thinking, did I use the turn signal? Did I drift through the stop sign? I'm really good at that one. That, those I get tickets for all the time, and so so you know so you're looking and you're you're afraid, and then they pull out behind you, your heart begins to race, and you're thinking, how much is this going to cost me? My wife is going to kill me because she keeps telling me, Carl, slow down, you know, and so so your fear right away because they become the authority. What they say goes. And therefore, we have a respect for them. I had uh, this awesome officer, county officer. He pulled me uh, uh, over. We were coming home from church. We had Celeste in the back seat. You know, we're just going down on 45. You know, I'm going 55 or whatever. And I just wasn't paying attention. And here comes a, a county policeman. And, of course, he turns around and pulls me over. And I'm like, yep, here goes 150 bucks. And you know, on Sunday. With my granddaughter in the back seat, you know, and I'm like, here we go. So I pull over, and the officer comes up, and, you know, I already have the, the license out and everything ready to go. And uh, so, such a nice officer. He, he looks at me and says, okay, hi, uh, Mr. Henry, I just want you to know you're not going to get a ticket. And then your heart goes, <sighs> And he said, and the reason why is because you, you did not challenge me. You just submitted to me. And gave me that, and he goes, I hardly ever give a ticket to a person that just yields to me as, a, as the authority. And I'm like, note to self. <laughs> of course, Joe Pinch is going to throw the book at me. But uh, anyways, yeah, we have this fear. It's like they're an authority. We lose you know, the ability to control. If they want to arrest, if they feel, think there's something wrong, they can, they can do... So, and even parent, you know, kids with parents, the, the reverence for them and, and it's things are, are... And the government, you know. Uh, the Romans 13, we talked about that. And here's one I added later. Teachers. You know how many teachers I've talked to? You know why they quit? It's because they lost control of their classes. And they cannot control the class because the kids no longer respect the authority of the teacher, and that's because they lost control. Why is that? Because we can't discipline anymore. There's nothing that's putting fear inside of the young people. 
you know, I've gone to court quite a few times with people, and I'm watching the attitude as they go up before the judge. It's like, yeah. And if I was in front of the judge, I'd be like, yes, sir. Tie on. You know, I'd be scared to death if I'm waiting for a verdict for my future. But it's like, oh, they slap your hand, put you in jail a little while, you'll be out, it's all good. And there's no respect because the crime was more fun than the punishment. Probably? Okay. Teachers, poor things, they, they lost control. And, and it's like, they, I was seventh grade. I got my last whooping in seventh grade. I was not a Christian. Okay? And so, so seventh grade, you know, I decided out from the library to the study hall room, it was like a lot more fun to go the whole way around the block. Well, then they, when you leave, they write down your time of departure from the library, and then they know how long it took you to go a hundred steps. And it doesn't take three to four minutes. So I decided to go around the block, and I walked in. I think Hackenberry was his name. So he says, Oh, Mr. Henry, what took you so long to get here? I'm like, frozen. And he goes, Well, sir, why don't you stand right over here in front of the 200 students that are in this room right now. We were using the cafeteria. He said, I'd like for you to touch your ankles and hold on to them. And I said, Yes, sir. And he got the paddle in front of everybody and went whack and a whack and a whack. And he said, are you going to do that again? And I said, absolutely not, sir. <laughs> and I didn't. You know why? The discipline outweighed the pleasure of taking my time. And, and there's no fear. I didn't do that again. Fear is a good thing. The world is saying fear is a bad thing. I disagree. And so does the Bible. It's interesting as I give you this, seems like it's a, it's a paradox. It seems like these two, uh, this, this thought of fear and afraid, it's like God teaches it in opposites. Now listen to these verses. This is Matthew 10:28. And fear not them which kill the body, in other words, persecution. Don't be afraid of the person that wants to persecute you, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him. That's God which is able to destroy both soul and body and cast both into hell. Now we understand. God says, you fear me. And then Jesus says in Mark 5.36, Be not afraid, only believe. In Mark 6.50 He says, Be of good cheer, it is I. Be not afraid. Wait a minute. Are we supposed to be afraid of you or not? One place He says, fear me. And the next place is like, don't be afraid. Fear not. I love it in John 14 where he says, Peace I leave you. Peace. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth. Give I unto you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither be thou afraid. So are we supposed to be afraid or not? And I think that if we understand this, that the fear of God will correct our attitude and our actions, and we don't have to be afraid of what God would do to us. Does that make sense? Uh, Lori, was, I was telling her what I was preaching on, and so she gave me the illustration I needed. So we're going, we're going down the road. She's like, oh, what are you talking about next? I talk about the fear of the Lord. Oh, she goes, oh, you know, there's this story, I, and, I, and I, I hope I get it uh, close to being right, but um, her daddy had a uh, shop, 
and out there, there was a quart of oil, and it was open, and she knocked it over. So instinctively, she's like, oh, oil's filling everywhere, so she picks it up, and now he knows somebody spilled it, and they've corrected it. So it wasn't an animal who just knocked it over, because animals don't pick up. You know what I'm saying? So somebody in this household knocked it. You see, parents are really smart. We don't get away with it. So, she's, so, so she said from there on out, guess who she avoided all day? Because she was afraid of daddy. Because she knew she did something wrong and, and uh, she shouldn't have been there. And so therefore there was a fear of him. I'm afraid of him because of what he's going to say to me and I might get in trouble. But before she spilt that oil, she would have been running to her same father and embracing him. So when we do wrong... It creates this, oh no, now I'm afraid because I'm not pleasing my Father, my Heavenly Father, because I'm not keeping His commandments. Fear God, keep His commandments. So when we fear the Lord, it is going to cause us to do right by Him. And the result then is a blessing and a relationship with Him that we do not walk in. In fear, we don't have to be thinking, oh boy, the Lord's going to take me to the woodshed. Boy, am I in trouble. Because you can't hide from God. That's Jonah. You just can't hide from Him. You know, it talks of Job, and it says, Job feared God and eschewed from evil, kept himself from evil. It's like, I'm going to make sure I walk with the Lord because I know how important God is to me and how powerful He really is. But when we walk in our own steps... The fear of the Lord has gone from our minds. We're not putting Him up front the way we should. So the fearing is tied together with the keeping of the commandments. It's interesting that in Ecclesiastes, this is the first time that God said, keep my commandments. Of all the things that He had talked about before, He waits to the end and He connects obedience with the relationship we have with the Lord. In this text also, he begins to teach us about an accountability. And that's what verse uh, 14 is all about. That every man will give an account of him or hers own self uh, to the Lord. Romans 14, 1 Corinthians 3, uh, 2 Corinthians 5. If you need more, I can give you more. Uh, Out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, things are established. So we're not just pulling this obscure verse and and saying this over and over again. And and from the Old Testament, a text like this also talks about an accountability that we will have before the Lord. So giving an account, now follow me on this please, is a complete opposite of believing that everything we do here on this earth is vanity and meaningless. You see, as as the world would see this, I worked really hard, and then the kids, they blew it. You know, I was working really hard, and I was laboring, and I didn't get what I expected, the expectations that I had. You know, I want to have all this more, 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 and they're never fulfilled. And it's because that goes contrary to the mindset that everything I do is for my God. And I'm going to stand before Him. That's why Jesus gave the parables. And at the conclusion, He's like, Well done, thou good and faithful steward. In other words, we are stewards with our work, our family. Everything that we have is not ours, it's God's. And we're going to give an account to God as stewards for what we did with His possessions. 
And if we are foolish with it, oh, I decided I'm going to bury it because I know you're a strict you know, owner and I'm going to bury it and I will give you one back. And he's like, you know you're going to get in trouble for that. Do we not know that we're going to get in trouble for that? We do know that. And so, the next one, of course, he had to five, he made more, ten made more. And it's interesting, and I love that parable, because of all the people that he gave the one to, it was the one with the most. You would have thought, well, I'm going to try to create a little equality and give it to the one with, you know, five, one with a little less. Uh-uh. To whom much is given, much is required. And that man was, was given a lot of duty, and he did well with it, and so therefore God could entrust him with more. So bottom line, if you want a job done, are you going to give it to a busy man or a lazy man? A lazy man is never going to get to it. Yeah, I'll get to it. You know, one of these days, I'll, yep, I'll give you a call. Three weeks later, you call them back. You know what I'm talking about. You get a busy guy. Yeah, he's walking it. Yep, I'll give this guy a call back. You get a call back the next day. Hey, this is what's going on. This is when I come meet you. And you know he's busy. And then you meet. I met with two different contractors in the last week. And both of them said, by the way, I am three months out. But they were honest. And they were saying, this is where I'm at. So they're on top of things. You know they're going to get done. Because I've had other contractors that are going to say, oh, I'll be there in yeah, three, four weeks. You know <laughs> when they say about three or four weeks, they have no idea. It's, it's whenever I get to it, I feel like it. And so God is, should entrust us that we are going to say, I'm going to do it. I'm going to keep that because I am going to stand before you. And that's the difference in the mindset. The world lives for today. Thinking, there's no accountability. We die. We go six foot under. It's all there is to it. You know? We all go under the ground, and there's no God, there's no spirit. I'm just a glorified animal. At least that's what evolution has told me. So there's nobody i got to stand before. So I'm going to eat, drink, be merry, live for the moment, do whatever I want. There's no one to answer to. They believe there is no reaping for what has been sown. Live for today. You, here's the philosophy, I hear this all the time, you are all this important be happy. Live for the moment. Get what you want now. And look for something new. And someone new. All these thoughts that I just described there have forgotten God. There is no fear of God in those type of mindsets. But sadly, I'm seeing this permeating those who go to church. Folks, we got to remember, you and I, this preacher included, we're going to stand before the Lord. Isn't it interesting, in verse 13, Solomon, the king of Israel, one of the greatest kings of all time, says, let us hear. He included himself. No one is exempt. You see, I don't believe in it. I'm exempt. You can try to wish it away all you want. You can say it doesn't make sense to me. You can do that all you want. But my friend, I love you and God loves you even more. And He wants you to understand this concept, to believe in His Son that He sent to die on the cross for your sin. He loves you so much. He died and He rose again for you so that you could have eternal life. And now what He's saying is, as your Heavenly Father, I know what's best for you. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. We don't get it. But God says, let me give you my word. 
It's just a guideline to help you and I to live and to live abundantly here on this earth and to live joyfully no matter what the bad circumstances are around us. They want to, the world wants us to be happy, live for the moment, get what you want, whoever you want. These things, these thoughts, take us away from the fear of the Lord. But we as believers are total opposite of that. In our mindset as Christians, it is this, is our premier thought. We are here to live with eternity in mind. We are to live here, right now, with eternity in mind. All of the teachings of Christ were about live here, but the kingdom is what it's all about. And that's what we're to have focused on, because Satan knows about the kingdom. He has his own kingdom. And he's trying to build his own up too. Because he hates God. And he uses you against the one who loves you. And so have eternity in your mind about your future. About, you know, you got the young people. Have you really prayed to the create, your Creator, your God, about what does God want for you? I know it's in your mind what your desires are, but is it linking up with what God wants for you? Does God want you to serve Him some way? Whether it's the mission field, whether it's in ministry as a pastor, pastor's wife, uh, a missionary, like Andrea has, has chosen to go this route, the cross, we've got my son-in-law Mark, we've got Ethan up in, in Wisconsin, and the list goes on with those who have gone out from this church that are right now pastoring or are missionaries around the world. And it's not because that's what's most popular. It's not always what's going to pay the most. But you're going to be right there doing what God wants you to do. And it might be in poverty, but you're going to be so happy because you're doing what God wants you to do. See, when we fear God, we know that He is wise and that we, and that we should follow His teachings because He knows what is best for all of His creation. We are not afraid of Him. The other day I was um, helping uh, uh, Stephen, uh, a young lady had uh, <laughs> uh, locked her keys in the car with it on with her three-year-old in the back seat. Yeah, that's, the, yeah that's, that's a bad thing. So we're all there, you know, guys. We're all looking around like, we got this. We had no idea what to do. You know, but we're, we're like, and so she's, so she, the mom is over there looking at the three-year-old and saying, just Undo this right here. Just push the button and it'll separate. And then you can, because they had the child locks on, so she couldn't put the window down. So mom was going, please. And I knew there's one thing, as a mom is imploring to this child to try to do this, well, there's one thing I wasn't going to do. I was not going to engage with this child. Matter of fact, I walked away from the vehicle. You say, well, why did you do that? Because this little three-year-old doesn't know me. And she sees this foreigner, this stranger, looking in and saying, just unlock yourself, you know, and climb up over the seat. And You know, that's how a guy would do it. This is not that hard. You're three years old. You know? So I'm over here because I'm the stranger. She doesn't know me. And if I would have looked in and knocked on, she would have been, right away, she would have been afraid. 
The last thing she would have been doing is listening to mom, you know. So Stephen, he goes across the street and gets one of those things and pulls it out, you know, and gets the door unlocked and all is well and everything. But my point is, is this concept, you know, when we have a relationship with God, He's not a stranger to us. We're not afraid of Him. We know Him. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. That's a relationship. He that has the Son has life. These are all verses that God is trying to say, have a relationship with me. And everything changes. Lord, Your wisdom is incredible. Lord, but we find ourselves sometimes fighting and going our own way. And it does seem, Lord, when we mess things up, You're the first one that we turn to to try to get things corrected again. And just like Israel in the book of Judges, they would be on fire for You and then they would turn away from You and then You would bring them into hardship and they would come back to You. Lord, may we not be like that. May we put You first by fearing You. And then may we keep the commandments knowing that one day we will be standing before You. And Lord, help us to understand the concept. Well, thank You. Now, with his bow and eyes closed, my friend... If you're here and you say, you know, Pastor Carl, this whole thing about Christianity is really, really new to me. And you know what? It was new to me at one time, too. And, and I remember going to that church, and I remember being afraid and, and didn't understand everything that the preacher was saying and everything that the people were doing. It was all foreign to me, and I get that. I've been there. But there's one thing that I remember that pastor helping me to realize, and it was this. Jesus Christ loves me. God loves me. And God the Father sent His Son, Jesus, to die on the cross for me. And He rose again three days later. And that I got. And after hearing this message about Jesus wants to save me or, or wash away my sin, and, and, and I'm like, I want to do that. And, and thank the Lord my mother-in-law here today is the one that helped me with a prayer to invite Christ into my heart. And you can make that decision right now too. It's very simple. By faith, you talk to God. And you just say something like this to God. You've got to mean it. Just say, God, I do know in your sight I am a sinner. And that I cannot wash away my own sin. And I believe you sent your son Jesus to die for me. And he rose again for me. And I am calling on you right now to save me or deliver me from my sin. And to cleanse me. That I can be one of your children. That one day I'm going to be in your presence. And so now, Lord, that I've invited you in, help me to serve you all the days of my life. Help me to keep you first. Help me to be your follower. If you prayed that and invited Christ into your heart, I really rejoice with you. I made that choice one day too. Please let me or someone know in this service of your choice uh, to trust Christ as Savior this day. Let's stand together.